Um, I'm very glad the worship went the way it did because Pathways is essentially uh, a huge core part of the word that I'm going to bring today. Um, if, you're, if you're in Luminate or if you ever have been, you would have heard elements of this teaching um, as recent as last week. <laughs> but uh, there's not necessarily a negative thing of hearing something reinforced multiple times. Um, there's obviously, in a prophetic intensive, you've got your additions, you've done your subtractions. Hopefully they were prophetically inspired because why bother adding more pain to your life than you have to? <laughs> but those things, if, if you got them, if you would prophetically ascertain them, they would have been for a very specific purpose from the Lord. They would have been for the purpose of the Lord unraveling you or realigning you or correcting pathways in your life that were out of alignment or non-conducive to fulfilling the mandates of the Lord for your life. And so that is, I mean, that, that doesn't stop, obviously, all throughout life. Life is one con continuous heart journey. It doesn't just, you know, out, outwork itself within six weeks of an intensive. It, it's, it's a constant uh, process of yielding things that you have attached to or um, pathways that you've really ingrained in an intense way into your life, yielding those things to the Lord so that you can be available for Him, but also a pillar in the temple of the Lord, which is the word that's been coming through this house um, consistently over the last few weeks. So I'm going to talk today about each of us that have spoken, we've brought, I suppose, a personal, um, there's been a personal bent to our words. Um, my word today is going to orient around building and pathways um, because I've had to trade out of a lot of poor building. Um, I have a very, I suppose, active mind and that's positive if it's used for the Lord, but negative if you're going to use it to build in negative ways. And so a huge part of my personal journey has been trading out of very negative thought pathways um, and, and, and ways that are not the Lord's. So there's a process of being un unraveled um, that I'm going to speak to today. I did a prophetic intensive. I've done a couple of prophetic intensives with Daryl. I've probably done two or three. The very first one I did was, uh, when did you arrive in Adelaide? 2016? 2016? And I reckon they, they arrived in 2016 and I'd been at Field of Dreams for probably a year at that point. So I was only really about a year old in the Lord and we did a prophetic intensive. And I remember we went to their, their old place. It was in Tranmere. I remember sitting around in a, a lounge area with about 12 other people and I remember Daryl started framing things up about additions and subtractions. I don't think that language was necessarily in place at that time, but there were things that we were going to have to yield and, and, and do. And I remember from pretty much the moment he started talking, there was like a shaking that started happening on the inside of me. It felt like the, the inside of me was doing this, like trembling. And I remember I didn't have understanding. I was very new to the, to the Lord. I didn't really have understanding of what was happening, but it felt like parts of my inner world were collapsing. Instantly, and I remember I sat through it was about an hour and a half, and I sat, and all I wanted to do was essentially cry. I just wanted to go and just cry, whatever. I didn't know what was happening. It wasn't there weren't specific things at that point that were being revealed that were being shaken, but my inner world just felt like it was completely shaking. I remember he ended the teaching. I was living at home at the time. Mum and I left, and as soon as I got out onto the front sort of area of his house, like I just remember starting to cry, and I remember. The shaking continued. I remember crying. I remember getting in the car. I remember crying all the way home. I remember getting to my room and I remember essentially just like collapsing on the floor of my bedroom and then crying for probably about an hour and then crying for the next six weeks of the intensive <laughs> because there was something of a deliverance of my ways transpiring 
Now, that's progressive, and there's, you know, the Lord's very kind, and he sort of takes you around the mountain and does things in layers. You ascend, but you go around and deal with the same things again. This was kind of the first core, I suppose, it was, a, it was a, probably the, the, the primary season of consecration, or one of the, 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 the first, let's just put it that way. It was the first season of unraveling and surrender that I ever went through. And I remember to such a great extent that there were times in the six weeks of the intensive that I couldn't even necessarily think clearly because a lot of my thoughts were animated by, by very poor foundations that I'd built and the Lord had undermined them through my permission but instantly as soon as the prophetic intensive started and it, mean, it meant that I had information coming into me and I didn't have anywhere to put it because the Lord was completely uprooting uh, I suppose the foundations of my world and he gave me a vision of like floorboards and many of them were ripped up so they were just kind of joists at certain points and he said there's nothing for you to walk on yet you're going to have to I've uprooted you're going to have to rebuild um, and there was a very significant song that I listened to all throughout that season. It was called I Surrender by All Sons and Daughters. And it was lit- it's literally about emptying yourself out. And the Lord, the, the reason, you know, pillars is the word that's come through the house. The Lord cannot rest weight or responsibility or mandate on a pillar if the foundations are built on sand. The foundations have to be firmly tethered into the rock. And so interestingly, what happened, I was saying to Daryl before in the staff room, after that season of, I suppose, emptying of myself, so I completely, I yielded so many things. I, it was like a complete internal renovation, one of the first I went through, or the first of many I went through, excuse me. I, I remember um, probably within about a year of that happening, the Lord then landed the internship, which has then become Luminate. And so if I hadn't gone through that season of consecration, I suppose, and internal yielding and surrendering of my ways, he wouldn't have been able to land the internship on me. It wouldn't have happened because, like I said, he cannot land weight on a pillar if your foundations are in the sand because he knows that, you know, you're going to crash when the storms come. Does that make sense? You guys okay? Okay. So... The intensive should have been or, you know, should have kick-started a process of surrendering and yielding your ways to the Lord's. Um, And so a lot of us have, which I'm going to talk about, pains in our lives, experiences, things that have happened to us that have caused us to build in certain ways. Those those things, maybe that, yeah, maybe it was a trauma, maybe it was a, a bad event, maybe it was a bad season. Like something, a lot of them are traumatic and not necessarily our fault. We're not responsible for that initial event necessarily, but, but according to the, the legal system of the realm of the spirit, we are accountable for every way we build from that event. And, you know, you reap what you sow. That's a very clear spiritual principle. And everything that we're reaping, anything that's ill that we're reaping, anything bad, anything negative, it's not because of the ways of the Lord. I'm a, I'm a massive believer, as I'm going to explain in a sec, that the, the, the ways of the Lord are only good. Like Todd was saying this morning, if you're in sorrow, it's not the Lord. If you're in sadness, you're in a level of deception because you're attaching yourself to something that lacks truth. And so the ways of God are only good, only good. And 
there's a, there's a, I'll get you to put it up in a second, but we've got to be motivated to yield our lives, not because it's the right thing to do or because, I mean, being in pain and wanting it to change is a good start, but that can't be the primary motivator. The scripture is very clear about what has to be the motivator for surrendering and yielding ways of God. And can you put it up? It comes from Romans 2 verse 4. It says, uh, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? The goodness of God. A revelation of the goodness, the kindness, whether it's you have an encounter like I have with the mountain of the Lord where you partake of like the pure goodness and, and joy and family and connection that's there. You know, partake of the very fabric of his kingdom, whether it's you see the, you know, in the scripture you identify the nature of the Lord through seeing him, you know, have compassion over the woman with the issue of blood. Whatever it might be, you've got to attach yourself to the, to the goodness of God. Do whatever you can to attach to him as good and 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 set your heart on him, that is, the, that is the engine for repentance. Ultimately, that's where pure repentance comes from. So if you're in ways that you're struggling to yield, you don't have a revelation of the goodness of God in that area of your life. So uh, that has to be the motivating factor. Otherwise, you'll actually end up, you know, building from a wrong place and then you'll have to surrender that pathway again. So the, the, the motivator for any, any repentance has to be that God's good and I want him and I'm seeing the goodness of God toward me in this area of my life and I'm giving myself over to him because of that. That has to be the motivator. So um, first of all, I, I want to establish, I'm going to run through a, 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 a sort of, uh, about six or seven scriptures from the outset of the, like the very first chapter of the scripture because the, the very first sentences in the entire scripture, I want to establish this first. This is like foundational to establish before I go on. That the very first sentences of the entire scripture teach us that all of God's ways are good. There is not a way of God that is not good. We might perceive it as painful at first, but it's going to produce very good fruit. There will never be a way of the Lord that is not good. And, and that's the first lesson. Can you put up Genesis 1 verse 3 to 4? The first lesson that we learn from Scripture is that the ways of God are good. So someone's due to wake up. Does <laughs> um, anyone trigger it? That? Was that? Did that ever used to be anyone's alarm? Genesis 1 verse 3, it says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Can you put up Genesis 1, verse 9 to 10? And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together. So these are all his ways. The gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was, was good. Yeah, you can, you can repeat me if you like. Genesis 1, verse 11. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. Next one. And the earth brought forth grass. I'm struggling, struggling to read that. I'm going to have to turn this way. And the earth brought forth grass and herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself. And God saw that it was. <laughs> Genesis 1 verse 16. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also, and God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide, 
to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was? Okay, good. <laughs> Genesis 1, I'm programming you. Genesis 1 verse 24. <laughs> then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so... And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was. The last one. Don't put it up yet, can you? I don't know if it's... Is it all going to fit on one screen? Guess what, guess what the next thing says. Oh, you got it. Someone did get it over there. I was going to try and trick you. It actually says, put it up, Genesis 1 verse 31. God saw everything, the whole creation, every single thing, all his ways, the accumulation of all his ways in creation, and indeed it was very good. Very good. The, the, the accumulation of his ways, he looked at it and he said, this is very good. And so that word um, very, it actually means vehemently. In, in the root language, it's, uh, in Hebrew, there's a loudness to it. Like it's loudly good, you know? Like it's like, wow, it's, it's excitingly good. And, and the word good, it, it means something bountiful, something cheerful. It means gladness. It means sweetness. It means wealth. It means something beautiful. It means wellness. Like when you say, it is, it is well with my soul, like that feeling of contentness and wellness. That's, that's wrapped up in the word good. So or the, the, the Scripture's initial introduction, like this is the first sentences of Scripture, it teaches us instantly that God's ways are good. They're bountiful. They bring cheer. They bring gladness. They make our souls well. They give us wealth. They're beautiful. That is the nature and character of the Lord. So that... I need that to be, I mean, there's probably some things inside some of you that are bucking up against that, but that is the truth of Scripture, that God is good, okay? It actually also says, you don't, I didn't give you the eight, Proverbs 8.22, you don't need to put it up, but obviously Proverbs 8 says that, that um, wisdom was the facet of God that was most prevalent at creation. It actually says wisdom is responsible for, for the ways of God. In Proverbs 8.22, it says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. So wisdom's responsible. And, and what does it say? Can you put up Proverbs 3 verse 17 of, of wisdom? It says, all her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. All of them. There is not a single way of the Lord that isn't pleasant and that doesn't ultimately yield peace, right? So if you are reaping any, anything else other than those fruits in your life, it is because there are ways that you're you know, in agreement with or walking out that are not the ways of God. Those, the fruits of pain, evil, and death, as we'll see, are actually, they are not the fruits of the ways of God. All his ways of pleasantness, all, all his paths of peace. So I, why then is it, if God is so good, why is it that in our lives we, we struggle against God's ways uh, or we don't recognise them as good? Like, for example, you know, we perceive his commandment as loss. You know, God's asking me to give this up and I feel a sense of loss. Why is that so if, if all his ways are pleasantness? Like, you know, um, why is it sometimes that in areas of our life we actually can't even identify what the ways of the Lord are? We're so confused and consumed with circumstantial fruit that we're just like, where is the Lord? What is the, what is the way of God? Why are we so detached from that and, and detached from the goodness of the Lord? I'm going to show you why through the narrative of the garden. Um, now, the garden narrative has so many different lessons you can take from it. I'm taking a very, very specific vantage. This is not the only lesson that you can take from that story, but there's a very, very specific vantage that I'm taking. Now, we get to, I've said this before, we tend to get angry with Eve. We go like, you know, <laughs> blame her for all the bad fruit in the world. 
and go, like I've, I said it to the students on Wednesday, it's like there's a, there's a meme where there's like a guy, a soccer player, and obviously he's gotten into a tussle with someone on the opposition, and he's going to like fight them, and he's being held back by the, the ref, and the caption is, me when I get to heaven and I see Eve, you know, like I'm going to come at you. But the reality is that we are actually Eve in the story, and we repeat the same mistake that she made consistently in our lives. Uh, it's, it's not like she was the one bad human that ruined it for all of us. She is a picture of humanity. And the humanity's tendency to not choose the way of God, to reap the bad, the, the bad fruits of that and then get angry with the Lord for it. So uh, I'm going to walk us through that. Um, can you put up Genesis 2 verse 8? Which one is my water? Does anyone know? <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> They're probably both mine. I probably got one in the staff room as well. It's okay. I'll, I'll. <laughs> Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> All right. So um, Genesis two verse eight. This is the state of state of the garden. So uh, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. I'm going to touch on that, but not in. in, in I've got, don't have the time to go into depth on that. And there He put the man. Put them, I'm going to look this way. They put the man whom he had formed. Is there another one? Sorry, 2 verse 9. Sorry, I probably only gave you 2 verse 8. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight. Made every, they were going to come back to that. Every tree grow that's pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst or the, the center of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, now... I don't have time to drill down on it, but in the word eastward in Eden, there's a huge revelation to partake of. It has a, because um, I personally believe that in Eden, they weren't acquainted with evil. They didn't, they didn't have to be. You don't have to be acquainted with evil to build from glory to glory to glory to glory. I, I use the analogy on Wednesday with the students. It's like if you have a three-year-old, you know, you don't have to expose them to the fact that, for example, humans get eaten by great white sharks. Like they don't, they don't have to know that. They don't have to have that negative information in their psyche to build and play and ha- ha- like building goodness. So I believe it was a similar reality. In the word eastward there, um, it has the connotation of like a breach. Like the Lord was like, okay, it essentially means so- like this, for example, someone that precedes something else and covers something else. So I believe in the garden, say you've got the experience of evil out here and evil fruit. There was the Lord and there was men in the garden. So it was like the Lord was acting as a type of breach between them and partaking of evil. And then they could partake of the tree. See, wisdom, wisdom is a tree of life. They had the tree of life in the garden. Wisdom's very kind because wisdom, like when you go and consult wisdom, you don't have to walk, walk out all the painful paths that you're asking for consultation. Do I walk them out or not? Wisdom essentially traverses all those pathways. Wisdom in its most reduced definition is the practical application of knowledge. Uh, It basically means wisdom has all insight, has all knowledge, understands all things, and then counsels us in paths of light. Like, this is the best. But to do that, it's gone down every single other negative pathway, experienced and borne the brunt of that pain for you and said, don't do that, go this way. So wisdom is extremely kind, and I think that that dynamic was the dynamic of the garden. So they weren't partaking of, of evil. They, they, they weren't experiencing the word knowledge there, the tree of knowledge of good and evil added to the experience. Knowledge is not cognitive. 
in that scripture, it's experiential. It's the word yada. It's like Adam knew his wife and, you know, he had kids. So that wasn't cognitive. <laughs> it wasn't like Cain, you know, it was like, so, so it was, you know, it's not a cognitive, it's not a cognitive scripture. It's, you have to, it's an, it's an added experience of evil. That's what partaking of the, tr- the tree of knowledge was. Before that, they weren't, I personally, I mean, prove me wrong and that's fine. I could be wrong on that. But for all intents and purposes of this teaching, they weren't ta- partaking of, I, I sincerely believe they weren't partaking of evil because evil is not in the ways of God. We've established that. Um, and like I said, they had every good tree. So we often have this sort of binary mentality that the ways of God, it's, it's good or evil. And we've got to take this one, and you know, stoically. But within pathways of goodness, it's so nuanced. They had every tree. They could partake of this tree, that tree, that tree, this, you know, there are so many. Do you want wealth? Do you want prosperity? Do you want family? Do you want love? Like, what do you want? All of them are good. You've got the choice. So goodness is a broad path, as it's clear in Scripture. Now, there will be some situations in your life where it's do not do that and do this. But what I'm saying was, you know, it's not like heaven is, you, you sit on a cloud and smile. It's like, Glory to glory to glory, opportunity and, and building. And that's what they had. Um, so they had that state. She was in proximity. Eve was in, I, I want to explain that. She was in proximity to the manifest countenance of goodness. The face of God. They were experiencing, experiencing him constantly and in, in, a, in a consuming, overwhelming realm of goodness. So then you've got, you've got that, right? And you put up Genesis 2 verse 16 to 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Right? So the Lord, like I said, he's, he's making a judgment on what's good. He's saying, you got all this, eat of all of it. There's so much goodness, but don't do this. In the day that you eat of it, you're going to experience evil. Okay? Can you put up Genesis 3 verse 6? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. How, how does that happen? Like, how have you gone from, can you put up the other one? We're going to just, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So you've got Eve there with goodness in her face saying, do all this, but just do not do that. Don't do that, all right? And then put the other one back up. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave to her husband. Now, that wasn't just like an impulsive, hmm, I decide that I'm going to do this today. The, the proce- there's, there's quite a significant process that I'm going to explain because it's extremely relevant to us, if we're Eve in this story, that took place from the commandment of the Lord, don't do this, through to I'm going to partake of that tree. There's a huge process in, in here. Uh, and it's the process that, that we undergo, essentially, which I'm going to explain, to partake of ways that aren't the Lord's. So how does that happen? Essentially, I mean, if I'm going to reduce it down to one, one statement, essentially that happens because we believe that what we need is on the other side of our ways and not on the other side of God's ways. Essentially that, if I'm to reduce it, it's because we believe that what we need is on the other side of our ways and, and not on, on, on the, the other side of God's. And, and how do we get to that point? Like how is she in, in manifest you know, goodness and then she gets to that point thinking what I need is not in him? 
It's because she's built. I'm going to explain how she, she, she built. And, 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 like I said, it's not a, a spur of the moment act of rebellion. It was a process of building, a process of hardening her heart to God, and then, and then that produced blindness and, to the Lord, and then she acted out a pathway. That's what happened. Let me, let me explain that. So um, can you put up Genesis 3 verse 1 to 8? Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of God, the manifest countenance of goodness, walking in the, in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I'm going to completely dissect that passage because you've got, like I said, you're, you're over here. You've got Eve is in proximity with goodness, all the ways of God, so many options, right? And then we read over here, well, she sees that the tree is good for food, that it's desirable to make one wise, and then she partakes of it. Between that and that is the serpent. And we all have a serpent or many serpents in our lives that we experience and then build, a, build, a, build from to the point that we get here. So, we've, you know, we're, we, you know, whatever, you know, we walk this pathway. I'm going to drill down on it. We have an experience that, that is negative, causes us to build, 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 build. God's not good. He doesn't have what I need. He let me down. And then we start actualizing ways of darkness. That's essentially what Eve did and what we do. So I'm going to break that down. The word serpent there, uh, it actually means like a, it means to hiss, means like a, a, a deceptive experience. It means something crooked. It means to have been manipulated. Uh, now, don't think that the serpent's not still active trying to whisper to all of us today not to choose the ways of God. Consistently through experiences, through unkind people, uh, through injustices, the serpent still attaches to our lives and preaches to us. He character assassinates the Lord. And I'm going to break that down. I'm going to show you exactly how he, the serpent or an experience that we have, it's negative. Like I said, many injustices occur and it says we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. So there is kindness. I'm going to talk about that after. The Lord meets us. That's how we get healing. The Lord meets us in that initial, I mean, Christina does it all the time in the ministry department. She sees people, the Lord meets someone in a root pain experience, right? He comes back in as that sort of righteous breach and then that whole timeline gets redeemed. The pains of it, often the physical sicknesses that have been fruits of that pathway and then they're able to walk into paths of light. So the Lord always, to get full healing of the heart, the Lord has to meet you at that original root point. You have to see the Lord there and, and go back to that garden state from that root moment. But Everything that we've built after that is actually our responsibility. Everything that we've built from that initial pain. So Genesis 3 verse 1, can you put it up? 
Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Leave it there. They had so many good trees to eat from. Uh, and the tree of knowledge wasn't a good one. But you can see that in that he's, he's using language of loss. He's emphasising the negative. He's going, has God said, you know, you shall... He, he, you sh-, like he, he, that's, that's the nature and character of the enemy is that when the Lord says, do this, he immediately preaches loss to you. You go, okay, if I have to give this subtraction or I have to add this, I'm losing something. I'm losing time. I'm losing a habit. Like it's a language of loss. We don't actually... See, in the ways of the Lord, you only gain life. You never lose. And so, but the enemy, so he will character assassinate the Lord and he'll, you'll have an experience like a, a directive from the Lord and the enemy will go, you're losing in this pathway. You know, you have to give up something, a friendship, you know, a, a structure that you operate out of in your family, whatever it might be. And you go, well, now I'm losing X, Y, Z. No, you're actually only gaining life, but the serpent will just hound you with like, you're losing, you're losing, you're losing. That's what he did to Eve. So this, this starts to build a, this starts to assassinate the Lord and she's actually starting to come into agreement with this. Uh, second thing, put up Genesis 3, verse 2 to 3. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God has said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. 3, verse 4. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Consistently, another thing that the enemy, like, you know, the arrows that he shoots at us is that, well, God's judgments, are they really like, no, he, he, he throws them into question. Did God really know when he commanded me to do this? Like, does he, ha- does he know what we I mean, none of us would probably ever overly admit that we question that God is a good judge, but our hearts certainly would in certain areas of our life. We wouldn't necessarily have full trust that God's a good judge. And that's what he's doing. He's, he's casting shade on that facet of the character of the Lord. He's saying, you know, is, is God's ways aren't firm. You know, you won't surely die. He said that to you. Really? Like, did he really say that to you? Oh, no, you, you won't surely die. Can you put up the next part of that scripture? For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, in that kind of, I don't know, hiss, which is what the word serpent means, He's saying God has ill intent towards you. He's selfish. He's withholding something from you. He doesn't have your best interests in mind. So Eve, in that process, I'm telling you, we have experiences, like I said, traumas, pains, injustices, and they preach to us exactly these things about who God is. Um, She started to come into agreement with A, you know, God's withholding from me. So in God's ways, I lack. Now, like I said, they wouldn't, that wouldn't necessarily be a conscious narrative that runs through our head, but certainly a subconscious one. You're like, oh God, you know, there might have been something that you've traded out of, but you haven't quite fully traded out of it yet. So you're not reaping the fruits of a full trade out. And because you're still in that middle ground, you're, you're kind of questioning, you know, is, is, do God's ways really produce goodness? You know, do I lack in God's ways? Because, you know, she came into agreement B, that God doesn't always make good judgments. And, and see that he doesn't always have good intent toward me. You know, does, does he have as good intent toward me as he does for the next person? This person's life, X, Y, Z, you know, they're experiencing this. They've got this provision. They've got this. I don't have that. God mustn't be good to me. But realistically, you're pro- you haven't probably traded out of what they have to have that stuff land on you. Like I said, God cannot land weight on a pillar if your foundations are still in the sand. So, you know, the serpent, we have experiences. They're unquantifiable. So there's no point in me trying to give examples. But... We have a number of things that happen to us. You know, the storms of life hit us in the day-to-day and they, the storms of life are the serpent preaching to us 
and, and trying to character assassinate God so that we have real scales over our eyes when we look at him. And we're not really sure if he's good and we're not really sure. Scripture's clear he is. But we even project on that scripture relative to our experiences. And, and we don't see the scripture or the world according to what is. We see the world according to what's in our heart our experiences. And Christina does a great teaching on the heart. And she says that the heart has its own constitution. It has its own narrative of things. And, and it's completely, its own script of reality. It's not, tr- it doesn't make it true. It's, it's based on experience. So what I'm trying to frame up here is that Eve is undergoing that at this point. And she's building and attaching. Now, um, she then starts to, this is so interesting, she looks at the tree then, so, so, so building in our own ways, I'm going to go over it in a sec, produces a hardness of heart. Can you see how like through that we start to harden our hearts? She's starting to harden our, her heart toward the Lord and that produces scales and we project on him and others. I'm going to break this down because she looks at the tree now that the Lord has judged as it's going to kill you and she sees a whole lot of things that aren't actually there. Let me show you. So, Genesis 3 verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her and he ate. Can you please leave that up? So let's, let's dissect that. She saw that the tree was good for food. Now where in the scripture, at any point, does it say that that tree was good for food? Anybody? Literally nowhere. The Lord looked at that tree and said, this is going to kill you. The fruit of this tree, the food of this tree is, is not good for food. It's good for death if you want that. So the tree, the information there, she's looking at that and she's seeing something that is not there. She's projecting. She's built her heart's heart into the Lord and now she's seeing it's good for food. Okay, next. It says that she saw the tree was desirable. Sorry, Marissa. Yeah, she saw that the tree was desirable to make one wise. Where again in the scripture does it say that that tree produced wisdom? It says explicitly actually that wisdom is a tree of life. So she had the tree that gave her wisdom. Why is she now looking at this one going, I'm going to get wisdom out of this tree? You see how she's projecting, okay, this is what I need, but actually what she needed was in God. But she's built and hardened her heart to him and now she's looking at this tree and going, this has got everything I want, but it did not according to truth. And another thing, leave it up, but another thing that the serpent said to her was this tree will make you like God. Now, was she not already made in the image of God? So everything, she's looking at three, she's looking at this tree, it's going to make me like God, it's good for food and it's going to make me wise. None of that consisted in the tree, all of that consisted in the Lord. She had every single thing she wanted to get out of the tree in the Lord, but through a bad experience, she'd hardened her heart to him and now she's fully projecting and trying to actualize that out of something that is holistically not good for her. Now, that is what we do all the time in life. We let these, we, we've had experiences that completely define our reality and then we project on things that, like I said, are holistically not good, partake of them and wonder why we remain in hopelessness, remain in lack, remain in sadness, remain in sorrow. And then we look at God and go, you're not good. Your ways don't work, but we're actually entirely out of alignment with his ways. Does that make sense? So the, the reality is that everything that we need, every, every single thing that we need is in the ways of God and in the ways of God only. Nothing that we need is a product of our own ways. And so building, 
produces hardness of heart and blindness to what is. So she partook of that and ate, and it yielded not a single thing that the serpent or that her own, you know, understanding promised that it would. It actually well, killed her and all of us. <laughs> so <laughs> didn't go so well, hey? Huh? Um, can you put up Proverbs 14, verse 12? You can. Proverbs 14, verse 12. If you don't have it, that's okay. I can read it out. There is a way that seems right to a man. We, there's a way that's going to serve us. There's a habit that's going to, you know, comfort us. There's a person that's going to give us what we need. We perceive that's right, but actually, what does it say? The end of, its end is the way of death. She was the, she's the, she's the epitome of that scripture. <laughs> and, and so are we in every area of our lives where we're not partaking of the Lord's ways. Now, um, here's the thing. We often have habits. So like I said, you've all, you've all, um, you've all yielded, I suppose, uh, a number of um, things, subtractions, and you've added a number of things to your world, I presume. Um, now, if we have a habit or something that the Lord's saying, give that up, or give, give, just give some, whatever it is, give something up, and we go, no, 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 but I'll give it to you, but will I get back what that gives me in the Lord? 100% you will. If you undergo the process of consecration and yielding that thing, you know, will I get the fruit of whatever this habit, behaviour thing is? Will I get it back in the Lord? Well, a hundredfold, but additionally, when you go undergo that process of yielding to God and you untether and partake of his ways, you're going to look back at that thing and go, praise God, I never got that. Praise God, I didn't stay in agreement with that. Praise God that I didn't continue walking that path because you'll, you'll be untethered, you'll start to have the scales removed from your eyes and you'll see clearly and you'll be able to look at the tree of knowledge and go, wow, that produces death, I don't want that. But to get to that point, often there's a very painful, what I would call breaking on the rock or yielding something that you are so in agreement with. And it's very painful in those first, I mean, you can have something as, yeah, there's a whole spectrum of things that fit into that category. Like it's unquantifiable. I, I don't, I wouldn't have the, the, the books, the earth wouldn't be able to hold the number of books wasn't it, that have our idols inside them. But what I'm saying is as soon as you yield those things, you're like, oh, I don't want to give it away, God. You're taking from me. You're not good. Oh, you know. And then what happens is he takes it away. We undergo, like I said, we undergo healing and we look back at that thing and go, praise God, I'm not in agreement with that anymore. That was killing me. And, but the only way you can go through that is a yielding of your own ways. Um, what I want to talk about is how our building compounds. Uh, it's not as though, you know, we, we can necessarily choose. When we start to build and our heart hardens, and I'm not going to put the scripture up, it is on the list, but Ezekiel, Christina got this revelation and shared it with me. When it talks about taking the heart of stone out of an individual, like as, as the Lord's saying, I'm going to take the heart of stone out of you, uh, it actually means to build. So in, in other words, where you've built, you have hardness of heart. And we've established that, but scripturally it's in there too. You don't need to put the other one up. But in Ephesians, it talks about, uh, walking according to your own imaginations and how that completely darkens your understanding and hardens your heart. It's in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Uh, th those are realities that you don't always get to, when you harden your heart to the Lord in an area, you don't necessarily get to choose, like when you start to sear yourself, you don't necessarily get to choose how far that searing goes and what other areas of your world it expands to.
So even if, you, if the Lord says, you know, get a new toothbrush and you go, no. <laughs> Something as small and seemingly trivial as that, if you trivialise the voice of the Lord in that area, that seedness and hardness of heart is going to expand to other areas of the world. Uh, you, you, if, you don't, if you don't value his direction in the smallest of things, don't think you're going to value it in the largest of things. It actually starts with, you know, small micro-obedience. And that's what softens your heart. Um, and so here's a crazy thing. To, to just, just, can you put up Genesis? Again, we've looked at it. I'm going to wind up very, very soon. Genesis 3, verse 7 to 8. Talks about Adam and Eve after they've, you know, actualized their ways. It says, The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They kept building. You keep building. So now they're like, Okay, I'm really out in the, I'm really exposed now. I have to keep building to cover myself. You know, you're building and attachments to things keeps progressing. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves. That word presence there, it means like the face of God. So here's the crazy thing. They're looking at the, the face of God and they're going, I need to hide. They are so blind to his ways that they can't even recognize him as good and they need to hide now. Like that's crazy. There's often parts of our world where we go into such intense retreat from the Lord to the point we can't even, like I said before, some areas of our world, the voice of the Lord is so murky. It's like, where is it? What is he saying? You know, It's because we've backtracked and built so much that we're so separate that we can't even identify him anymore. Um, and that's where you sometimes just need to go to counsel and get someone's help to identify, you know, like, what is the Lord saying to me in this area? Like, I, I've built so much I can't see. It's very common in pastoral work where people are so filled with their own ways and backslidden in a particular area that they just cannot, the presence of the Lord is in the garden and they can't see the wood for the trees um, because of the building. The Pharisees, you don't need to put the scripture up, but the Pharisees were an incredible example of that. They had, again, the face of God. They had Jesus manifest, but they had built such identity in religion. They had such, you know, that attached themselves to such structures of pride that they had the Messiah manifest before them and they just could not recognize him because of their own ways. And many of them never partook of him. Uh, and that's why when Saul got prayed for by Ananias, what's the first thing that happened? What fell, fell off of him? Scales fell off his eyes so that he could see. So he had, he had built, he was obviously an extremely evil man and he'd built in, in, in this pharisaical kind of identity to the point that he could not see Jesus. He could not see that the apostles were doing the work of the Lord. So when he got touched by the Lord, scales, he had to be delivered from building that was blinding him to the reality of the Lord, to the ways of God. That's a very extreme example, but that is a picture of what we do, what, what we are like as human beings and what it produces. So what's important, if you remember at the start, can you put up Romans 2 verse 4, and I'm going to wrap up real quick in a, in a moment. Romans 2 verse 4, what is the way back? How do we get back in areas of our life that we are just so detached? It says clearly in Scripture, again, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of the Lord leads you to repentance? The goodness of the Lord. Now, very quickly, like I said, a lot of our building comes from an experience with the serpent. It could have been something extremely unjust. It wasn't our fault. Our building is, but that experience wasn't our fault. So what is the way back? Most times, and, and this is like I said before, it's in the, in the inner healing realm, like Christina would have testimony after testimony of 
points in people's lives that they've... So people come in with a problem, right? I mean, and they go, I've got XYZ problems. I'm be- this is bearing XYZ fruits. They are the fruits of building in their own ways that they're now struggling with and want deliverance from. It's, normal, you know, it's not as easy as usually let's cast out a devil and you're good. It's like you are tethered in with a whole lot of different gear that you're now struggling with because it's bearing bad fruit. And then you have to sort of drill down to a root point Right? It might have been a childhood pain, a bad parent, an abusive spouse, high school bullying. It can be a really good experience. You might have grown up in like immense wealth and so there's a level of pride that's come in and now you've built down that vein so much that the Lord's not in your world either. What has to happen in those situations is the Lord to get full healing and restoration of those bad building points. You have to see Jesus manifest at that original pain. And, and you'd say that he's always there in every single situation, you know, that she, people she ministers to in my life, you know, and I, I, please don't go muckraking for your root pains. You have to allow the Lord, if, and this, is, this was the homework of Luminate students on Wednesday, don't go muckraking for your pain. Ask the Lord, where is my heart hard towards you? Start there. And then he'll show you an area of your heart that is so incredibly hard and it will be, you'll be able to drill down on it maybe through time or through prophetic revelation and you'll see it's animating from a serpent-like experience of injustice that you've then built from and hardened your heart toward the Lord. And so when the Lord manifests, like I said, in that situation, I mean, I shared one about 12 months ago from this stage where I was just bully in high school like it was just it was an unjust experience and I was very isolated at a particular time of my life it produced lots of self-hatred and lots of poor behaviors and things like that that I then you know compounded on the self-hatred and whatnot you know sob and then but the reality was when I when I looked at why have I built this way why have I built this way the Lord showed me that root experience manifested to me in that point and re-engaged me as what I would call the righteous breach or the righteous gap, where he then takes that pain, right? Or he takes me, and this was exactly what happened in the encounter. That's me. I'm the pulpit. He stood in front of me and bore the full, like surely he's borne our griefs. Todd talked about that this morning and carried our sorrows and he stepped in. It, it, it's, he always does it in such a way that's so prophetically nuanced and specific to that person. You know, there'll be something that you needed to know in that moment, see in that moment. He'll be holding something that you needed to have in that moment. He'll manifest, you know, as the person that you needed in that moment. And what he does is he bears the brunt of that experience for you and and it gives you the liberty and the deliverance essentially to then trade out and rebuild from that point into pathways of life. The, The Lord completely redeems timelines all the time. It's actually highly possible and, and constant in the ministry department where the, the Lord manifests and then people go, oh, all this building, all these behaviours, all these structures, I don't need them anymore because the Lord met me at that root point and I've been able to trade out of them, out of the ways that that point produced. Like he's there in that root experience as my pain, as my grief, as my sorrow, as my suffering, like he becomes that for you in that, in that moment. And it gives you the liberty. Like it's a, it has to be prophetically led. And we are a prophetic church. We've got a ministry department, but it, it has to be prophetically led where you're able to identify where the Lord was for you in that particular moment. Um, and then we re-engage that, that Eden space where the Lord is bearing the brunt of our poor experiences for us. That is really the only way to get 
there's many modalities within that, but that is how you get true healing and liberty from root pains that have caused us to build in certain ways. And that's what the Lord does through prophetic intensives like this. Like I said with me, and I'm about to finish in one minute, so Daryl, if you want to get ready. Um, <laughs> one minute. So, <laughs> uh, and then I'm going to go to bed, as Rachel said last week. No, I'm not. The, the thing is that you have to allow the Lord into your pain. If you keep separating yourself from him through building, the distance keeps getting greater and greater and greater. The fig leaves keep expanding, 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 and you're like, where's the Lord? Um, and so if you're to be a pillar, like I said, your ways need to be anchored from the Lord and on the rock. Otherwise, there is literally no way the Lord can land weight on you. If your ways and habits aren't fortified and built in the rock, then there's, there's nothing that he can land on. Because when the storms come, as happens with our habits, when the storms come, they, the house just falls apart because it's, it's founded on the sand. Um, and so pillars is the season that we're in. This is the last thing I'm going to say. Pillars, Rachel's brought the word, Todd brought the word to illuminate. There's a real invitation in this season to be a pillar in the house of the Lord. And that happens through a yes that isn't a matter of standing up in a service. I mean, Rachel had that word the Lord directed her not to get people to respond specifically because if they did that and then didn't count the cost and then decided after the fact, actually, I can't do this, there's judgment that lands. So there has to be, repentance is a progressive outworking, uh, trading out of your ways. It's progressive. It can start as a decision to say, yes, Lord, like make me a pillar in your house. But that then looks like seasons, days, weeks, months. There have been things I've had to trade out of where the Lord has said, this is going to take, just relax. This is not a lay this at the altar and walk away. This is going to take you two months. Sometimes it takes time to trade out of, but let this intensive and the dynamic of addition, subtraction, challenging ways and habits, let it become a lifestyle if it isn't already, because that's the only way that you start to detach your structures from sand and build on the rock as a lifestyle. Daryl Crawford Marshall. having a bit of deliberation up here. Can you just put the pads on, please? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And some non-emotional pads, some non-sad pads, please. Wait for 30 seconds. Does anyone feel sad at this pad? I don't want people to go into sorrow. Anyone feel sad? Okay, good. Can you get your communion and stand to your feet? I'm not going to, I'm going to pray over you relative to, to the word. I'm not going to prescribe homework because essentially consecration and trading out and whatnot and building in the Lord is a, is a lifestyle. It takes time. Um, so I'm not prescribing anything for next week. But the, 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 the wine and the bread or the, the juice and the wafer that you have in your, 
in that plastic that you got there in your hand, <laughs> that cup, is the blood and body of the Lord. It's it's a sacrifice. It says, surely He's borne our griefs and pains, carried our sorrows. It actually says, by His knowledge. That's the same word as the tree of knowledge. By His experience of evil, by His bearing of our pain and suffering, it says uh, the righteous servant will, will sanctify many for He'll bear their pains. And so what you have there in your hands is your pathway into the ways of God again. When I had my encounter with the righteous, I, I like to call him the righteous breach, um, he came in and, and, and he actually, like I said before with the pulpit, he picked me up, pushed me, like propelled me into pathways of light and turned his back to my pain. I mean, uh, the crucifixion was extremely brutal and he bore all the consequences, all the initial grief of that moment, all the sorrow, all the rejection for me He's the one that then stays in that root pain and experience as we walk out into paths of light. He is truly the sacrifice for the evils and the injustices that are shown towards us. And it's that experience and that trade that happens through the, the blood and body of the Lord that is the only way that we can walk back out into pathways of light in our life. There is no other way. There's no other sacrifice. There's no, you can genuinely be healed of grief and pain. You know, you don't have to bear the sickness in your body. You don't have to bear the sorrow in your heart. That is, that is actually the position of the Lord in true justice. So I'm just going to pray. Lord, I thank you for your name as the breach. I thank you, Lord, that you are the one that wants to enter into all our pains, all our traumas, all our struggles and bear the consequences for us. So I thank you, Lord, even now for everyone under the sound of my voice. If there is a root experience that has tormented or caused stunting of growth or is hindering, Lord, would you reveal it and, and, and show that person where you are in that moment? And these things can be progressive. I've traded out of things over and seen the Lord heal me in situations over periods of weeks. Lord, I thank you that you are the healer of the hearts of mankind. Lord, I thank you for the kindness of wisdom. I thank you for the kindness of wisdom from the outset that always desired to bear consequence and propel us into your pathways. And Lord, I thank you for your pathways out of pain, your pathways out of sorrow, your pathways out of hardship. Lord, I thank you for the brilliance of your pathways. I thank you that in the garden there are many trees that are good for food. And I ask even now, Lord, for a revelation of the brilliance of your goodness, the brilliance of the trees in the garden, the, the, the wealth that's in your presence, the love that's in your presence, the kindness that's in your presence, the peace that's in your presence. I thank you, Lord, for a magnification of the reality that your ways and nature are both good. I thank you for that, Lord. Your ways and nature are both good. I thank you that your word said it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, the kindness, the forbearance, 
forbearance of the Lord, the, 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 the meekness of the Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you stoop down and lift us up and make us great. You stoop down into our sorrow. You stoop down into our hardship. You stoop down into our pain and you lift us out while you remain there as the sacrifice. I thank you for that reality. I thank you for you lifting the heads of your people out of sorrow, lifting the heads of your people out of pain, lifting the heads of your people out of themselves, Lord. I thank you that there is liberty even when we get lost in you. I thank you, Lord, that when we lose our lives in you, we find it. I thank you, Lord. Your nature is the lifter of the heads of the people. So I thank you, Jesus. We magnify your sacrifice. We magnify the design of this communion to restore us to that initial garden state where you build the you bear the pain and we build in life. I thank you, Lord, for destiny and scroll. I thank you for purpose. I thank you for pathways of mandate being revealed to people, the goodness of the Lord to them as a light at the end of the tunnel to continue walking, to continue trading out, to continue yielding, to continue fighting the good fight. I thank you for that reality, Lord. I thank you for destiny scrolls being revealed as, as light at the end of the tunnel for people to keep walking towards, keep pushing ahead. Do not grow weary in doing good. Do not lose heart for in due time you will reap a reward if you do not give up. I thank you, Lord, for a grace over this company to continue trading into your ways so that we can be a company of pillars that, that hold up the temple, that carry the glory of the Lord, that terraform this earthen dimension, Lord. I thank you for that. I thank you for a grace and a core strength for people to see you in their pains and trade out of the ways that have protected them, give over those fig leaves that cover them and fully look you in your face and experience you. Let your glory, Lord, be their covering. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for your blood and body and we just receive you now, Lord, as the righteous breach and the one who always does good. And take your communion. These are sad pads. Don't be sad, it's not, not a sad moment. But what I want to do instead, just because it's so, I wouldn't call these the sad pads, but there is a, a leaven of melancholy through them. Um, but what I do want to do, and I feel very strongly to do this, is first of all, I'm going to dismiss the meeting. But after that, I just want to open up the altar space. And what that looks like is for the next little while, just want to give people the opportunity to engage with God. But instead of you know doing a divine exchange, my ways for your ways and all of this, because this takes time, I just felt like people could come down and submit themselves <laughs> to God invading their world with His goodness. Because that's all that this was about. 
And so I just want to encourage you, if you do want to do some time with God, it might look like a little bit of deliverance. It might look like Him, him starting to speak to you about your own ways. It might, it could look like anything because each individual's journey is an individual journey. And that's what we promote specifically and strongly through this intensive. This is your intensive with God. But if you choose to do some time with... Oh, okay, there we go. <laughs> I would strongly encourage you to just do a little bit of time with God before you go. So what I'm going to do is the front row will be pushed slightly back just so there's lots of room for people and the front row people will move over there and then uh, you can just come and just do some time but we're going to officially finish the meeting. Can we just thank Maddie for just such an amazing word. That was absolutely brilliant. It was an outstanding word, wasn't it? So I'm just going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you so much for this intensive. We thank you for the next two weeks of, of this intensive. We thank you, God, for the last 14 days that it would be that there would be so much uprooted and so much replanted. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are leading us and guiding us to all truth and that your ways, just as Maddie, Maddie preached, that your ways are the best ways for us. So right now, in the name of Jesus, we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and encounter your people with your goodness. And so we choose right now to yield, to say, I choose to yield my internal world to whatever it is you want to speak to me even if you're undoing a structure I choose to believe that you are good and what you do is good engage me tonight God in Jesus name and everybody said together Amen so good so, so good. Thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. Aren't these sessions absolutely outstanding? Rachel's was amazing. Christina's was amazing. Mine was amazing. Next week will be amazing. Belinda's was amazing. And, and, and so next week is the last week of the official ones. We've still got 14 days left. I'm taking next week talking about supernatural lifestyle. And then the week after, we'll be doing a panel with all the speakers up here. And we'll be talking to you about questions, etc. Uh, for next week. But otherwise, the meeting is officially dismissed. So say just be merry go and be merry and and um go and enjoy your dinner safe drive home but we are gonna have this altar space open for anyone that wants to engage god tonight before they go home to see just what the holy spirit wants to reveal.